I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 166, in which I traveled. And I'm recording this on, I think it's Wednesday, October 22nd, 2014. I decided to go ahead and try to record today, even though I'm a little bit tired, but it's been so long since I posted an episode, and then I'm going to try to get myself back on track by posting again this weekend. I want to say thank you to everybody for listening, and thank you especially once again for your patience while I've been out and about on the road for a couple of weeks running. Um, In this episode, I'm going to have some announcements, some Sandy update telling you a little bit about my travels, especially in regards to the fiber arts, and then a little bit of what I've been doing in my own sewing room, very little, (laughs) and then I'll be talking about a couple of things I bought on my travels, um, plus something I've had for a while and just haven't talked about yet, So, and then we'll do some listening feedback, so that's the episode that you're about to listen to, so thank you for tuning in. First announcements. I'm finally able to announce the winner of the 2014 Quilty Resolutions third quarter check-in. If you remember, that giveaway was um, last week, I think, (laughs) whenever it was. And unfortunately, of course, I was on the road when it actually finished, but I do have a winner. I will be emailing her as soon as I'm done recording this episode. But congratulations to Erin S. You won by random drawing the uh, fat quarters that I had posted as the prize for this resolution. So uh, for this check-in. So um, I again, I will email you as soon as I'm done recording and we'll work on getting those in the mail later this week if I get your mailing address. So congratulations, Erin. And thanks again to everybody for playing along. Now, as you remember, I had said I wasn't entirely sure how I was going to manage the fourth quarter check-in since I'm going to be gone for most of the month of December out of the country. But then I realized, well, duh, of course, I can schedule the blog post for it before I leave. So I'm going to write everything up before I leave and then schedule it to um, go live while I'm gone with the rafflecopter and the linky party and all that kind of good stuff. And then um, you can all be checking out each other's blog posts about what you've done. And then I will do the drawing when I come home. Um, I get home December 20th, so give me a few days to wake up and the holidays and all of that. And it'll probably happen the week between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, So you'll get all of that information at that point. And that will be the fourth check-in and last check-in for the 2014 Quilty Resolutions. So those of you who have done nothing towards any of your resolutions, um, this is your last chance. I'm sure you can get at least one done so you can check in. Um, I will also have to figure out at that point what I'm going to be doing for the 2015 Quilty Resolutions, and I will probably be announcing that in a podcast episode sometime in November so that, again, I can get things rolling while I'm gone, and then that drawing I usually don't do until January anyway, so I think we're good for that one. It has really been, (laughs) it's been a challenge these last few weeks, especially trying to think through, okay, what normally happens in December that I need to make sure I've taken care of ahead of time um, versus what can wait until I get back. Um, Fortunately, I think my daughter's going to be doing all the Christmas decorating, (laughs) so that much will happen. So Sandy update. Um, I've been gone two, well, really almost two weeks in a row I was gone Thursday through Sunday um, two weeks ago for my vacation weekend, my anniversary weekend early. My anniversary wasn't actually until the 17th, but because I was gone for work for the 17th, we took my vacation, our vacation weekend, um, the weekend prior to that. And we went to Niagara by the lake. And I've talked about this um, on the episode before about why we always go there and how beautiful it is. And it was, of course, beautiful. And in fact, it was even more gorgeous than we expected. The weather was just perfect. We could not have ordered better weather. It was just absolutely gorgeous. We got outside, did a lot of hiking. Um, I had a brief moment of jumping way up on the leaders, leaderboard um, or Fitbit because of all the steps I managed to take during uh, that weekend. But just all around had a really wonderful, relaxing time. And it was nice um, spending time with my husband again because we've been ships passing in the night lately. Um, 
And then I got home Sunday afternoon, and early Tuesday morning I was on a plane back down to um, Valley Forge, where our uh, denominational headquarters are. I spent two days in Valley Forge and then flew from there, to, from Philadelphia to Atlanta for five days of meetings in Atlanta and got home yesterday from there. Uh, so that's been my last couple of weeks. Um, Atlanta was really wonderful. No, I didn't get out to do really much sightseeing except for one afternoon. And no, I had absolutely no free time to myself whatsoever to try to do any meetups. Uh, when I travel for work, my time is not at all my own. Even when we have free time, we're really expected to spend it with each other. That's part of building relationships and all of that kind of thing. Um, don't really have a sense of Atlanta, really, <laughs> because we did spend so much time just in, in inside, really, in meeting rooms. Uh, part of our meetings were on one of the campuses of Mercer University. I believe there's multiple campuses. We were on one where our denominational historical society, um, about a year or two years ago, I guess, moved down there and is housed there. So we had our meetings in their space and then took a tour of the historical society. And then on Sunday uh, was our cultural experience. Whenever we travel for meetings, we try to make sure we get out and experience some key element of the area that we're in. Um, as a team. And so Sunday morning, we went to morning worship at Ebenezer Baptist Church, which is Martin Luther King Sr.'s church. Um, and Martin Luther King Jr., I believe, was a pastor there for a little while. It is no longer in the original building. The original building is still standing, but it's it's an historical landmark at this point. Um, the congregation has built a brand new building, well, relatively new building, um, across the street. And it's just a gorgeous church. Oh my, the, the new um, sanctuary is just beautiful. And we happened to be there on Men's Sunday, which, you know, is kind of ironic that our women's ministry group <laughs> was worshiping with the church on their Men's Sunday. Um, but it was a phenomenal time. They had their men's choir saying, which was, oh, 60, 70 voices strong. I tried to do a quick head count at one point. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it was somewhere around 70. And, um, just oh phenomenal music all around they had a small kind of a, a gospel band that was supporting the choir but also did a, a piece on its own um and soloists and everything just really wonderful music and congressman john lewis was the speaker look him up if you're not familiar with who he is um he preached that morning and he was just again phenomenal had us um on our feet a couple of times during his sermon and um then after, towards the end of the service, they it was this whole voting rights thing. And so they were hearkening back through their history in the civil rights movement. But also that Sunday, if I got it all straight, and people from Georgia will have to correct me if I'm wrong, it was the first early voting, first time ever on a Sunday afternoon um, or on a Sunday uh, in the state. And so they were um, encouraging everybody in the congregation to make sure they got out and voted and also then had a caravan of people who were um, from that particular voting district left directly following church in this caravan to go down and vote. So it was this whole thing about voting rights and, and using your voice and democracy. Um, although you do need to know that, no, they did not promote any particular candidate. They were being very careful about that, but they were just trying to get people out to vote at all. Um, but in any case, at the end of the service, the pastor introduced some key figures that were in the congregation, one of whom was Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, eldest and only surviving sister, Christine King Ferris. Um, and so she came up to the front, and then there were a couple of other key figures. And so our um, team members were able to have their picture taken with, um, I believe both John Lewis and uh, Christine King Ferris were both in the picture. I know at least uh, Christine Ferris was. And um, then after worship and, and during worship, we were hosted by a retired staff person from my denomination, the Reverend Dr. L. Brinson, who grew up with Martin Luther King Jr.'s family. Um, he was friends with Martin Luther King Jr. as a child and all the way through their adult lives. Um, had tons of childhood stories. He sat next to um, one of the team. There were actually two teams that were meeting together and then had one team started. The other team came in midway, met with them, and then the first team left and the second team finished off its meetings by itself. And the second team was our national leadership team for our girls ministry. So it's four teenage girls and then a couple of adult women. 
and the 14 age girls got to sit next to Al Brinson during worship. And I could see him because I was sitting right next to them. He was showing them pictures on his cell phone of various uh, key figures that he had, you know, photos in his files of. And he was giving them a little bit of background information for some of the stuff that was going on in the service. They were just eating it up. It was, And he was loving being able to share this with them. Um, and then he took us on a walking tour of the neighborhood, again, where Martin Luther King Jr. had grown up. And... Um, his the house that he was born in and we got a private tour just our team of the house itself um and he of course was telling us all sorts of you know childhood stories and what he went through when he heard where he was and how he was involved with um when martin luther king jr was assassinated and the aftermath of that and the funeral services and and um all of that it really it it's just something else to hear it from somebody who was personally directly involved, um, just a phenomenal experience and opportunity. And, you know, again, for the four girls that were there, I had told them ahead of time, um, before we left for church, I said, you know what, if you guys can't get extra credit out of this, I am ashamed of you. <laughs> and so they were all like writing notes as they went. And, um, I'll be interested to hear if any of them did manage to get any teachers to let them do some extra credit projects based on what they learned that day. It was, it was just a phenomenal experience. I don't know how many more times I can say that. Um, and in fact, I even uh, ordered a DVD of the service so that I could bring it home so my husband could watch it because he's a big John Lewis fan. So um, I'd like him to be able to experience uh, John Lewis speaking as well. Um, plus, the acoustics were remarkably bad for speaking. Uh, we were sitting off to one side. Maybe if you were sitting right in the middle, it would have been better. It was fantastic acoustics for music. Um, but speaking, whoever was at the mic, if they were not directly facing the mic, it would get bounced all over the place. And so I lost probably about a third of what um, the congressman was saying. Uh, so I had already decided I was probably going to order the CD or a DVD of it so that I could hear it more directly and, and actually get all of it. So that was that was a great moment in those um, in those meetings. Now, other than that, I, I actually came away from these executive meetings uh, with these two leadership teams um, feeling kind of weird. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Normally, these October meetings, um, I walk away with just a laundry list of tasks uh, to get done for 2015. We have meetings in July and October, and July is our full board, and then October is the smaller um, executive committee of the board. And usually, you know, what's happened in October has been kind of broad strokes things. And then the October, I'm sorry, in July are the broad strokes. And then the um, October meetings are really fine tuning and, and really kind of figuring out how everything's going to happen. And I just end up with these, you know, long lists of things to do. Um, this time around, it was very, very different. And I actually didn't end up with any tasks on my list that weren't already there. And in fact, a couple of things that I thought were going to um, probably be decided upon to happen in 2015 did not. They they were pushed off into 2016 or beyond or changed entirely how they were going to happen. Um, so I actually have a little bit less on my list than I was predicting I was going to have, which is, I, I know you're all probably all sitting there going, well, what are you complaining? It just, to me, it means something else is going to happen <laughs> because I'm so... This is just not the way things normally go. It is unfathomable for me to imagine that 2015 is somehow going to feel like a light year. It just, it's, that's not how things work. So I guess part of me is kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop <laughs> at this point. They were good meetings. I mean, we, we, I guess we got a lot done, but it was more uh, philosophical, I guess. A lot of talking around kind of big issues but not much that turned into action items at this stage, um, at least for me. So in that regards, it was kind of weird. I mean, the whole flight home when I wasn't exhausted sleeping because I was really wiped out by the end of a full week of a bunch of different meetings all back to back. Um, I just kept thinking, what am I missing? You know, something feels like it's missing. Something's going to come up. And so anyway, um, that being said, my fall is still busy because those were all tasks that were on my list from well before July. And, it, you know, this was only in regards to 2015. So that felt kind of weird, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just float with it, see how it goes. Um, today I did take as a comp day. So I, you know, just let myself 
kind of sleep in. Well, I couldn't really sleep in. I never sleep in, but I just took a very slow morning and got some groceries and then had to clean my sewing room because, as usual, it's also my home office and it just gets trashed (laughs) when I am about to go out of town because I get stacks of stuff and as I'm sorting and trying to figure out things. And then we also ended up having to replace our wireless router right in the middle of all that. So I still had the box from the router and the old router. So it took me probably half an hour to get my sewing room back to to um, back and sorts and my uh, home office, my desk area and all that. So that felt good. I now, you know, am functional again. And then I did actually get some sewing done. So um, now 15 minutes into the podcast, let's start talking about sewing. I actually kind of ended up very um, impulsively today, which is what felt good. The The frustrating thing I've had all summer and into the early fall was everything I was working on was um, I, well, some of it was obligation project, you know, things that I'd said I was going to get done for other people, um, whether or not I was fully enjoying it, but just had to get done. And, and then I had some things that were fun needing to get done the postcard swap. I did get that done before I left and that was fun. But this was the first time coming back and getting my sewing room clean. I was like, I don't have anything that I absolutely have to get done right now. Um, I've got some design study group homework, uh, for my, my design group, um, But even that, you know, if I don't get it done, it's not going to kill me. It's not like a gift that somebody is waiting for or a project that somebody is waiting for. It was just I was able to say, hey, what do I actually feel like doing today? And I was kind of just glancing around at my stash again as I was cleaning. I was moving around and looking at my fabric. And I realized, you know, I've got some Halloween fabric I've never used. I've owned it for two years now, I think. And, you know, we're about a week away from Halloween. Maybe I can pull it out and do something with it quickly and and have a new Halloween decoration. And so I pulled it out and realized whatever had been in my head when I bought it, I bought a very difficult set of quantities. So it's the Alexander Henry Gastly's line. And and there's a variety of those of um, prints that have come out in that line now. So this I think this might have been the first one because, again, it's a couple years old. So I had one yard of the main print with a gray background and then another yard of the main print that was exactly the same print, but in a white background. And then I had two different coordinating prints, a half yard each. And it was just kind of a a weird collection. I know when I bought it, I didn't have any particular pattern in mind. I just really liked it. And so I just bought what I thought might work for something. Um, And that's always tricky, as you know. to try to buy quantities of yardage when you have no idea how you're actually going to use it and then get the yardage right. And I looked at it for a little bit and I went on Pinterest and I Googled, you know, different patterns using Gasly's prints and stuff and looked at a bunch of them and there were several options. And I thought about, do I fussy cut, you know, different parts of the print out of the the main print? Because it's not a panel, it's just a print. And I kind of kept going back and forth. And then I thought, wait a minute. I have the right amount to make two pillowcases, one out of each of those main prints. And I decided I would make pillowcases to mail to my daughter at college so she could have special holiday um, pillowcases. Because really, it got it's at the point now where I, I like the print, but it's nothing I love. And it's not like I will hate myself for not having, hang it, having it hanging in my house. It was like I just, I had it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of cute. I wanted to kind of do something fun with it. But once I'm done with it, I'm done with it. I don't, you know, I don't have any need to have it hanging on my wall. So doing the um, pillowcases was really the perfect way to use it. Now, I decided to stick to only using those, um, you know, the two main colorways and then the two coordinating prints rather than adding stuff from my stash, um, which really would have worked better, I think. Uh, because of the way the backgrounds and stuff are, it's probably not the most effective pillowcase uh, color combination. Um, And I will be posting a picture of it on my blog so you can see it. Um, It would have done better with a little bit of a pop of color or something. But my main goal was just to use the fabric and use as much of it in a single project as possible. And you know what? My daughter's not going to mind. She's just going to get a kick out of the fact that there's these two pillowcases that now she can use for Halloween. Um, The pillowcase pattern I use is just the very basic one I've been using for all of the pillowcases I've made. It's um, the tube, the way you do it in a tube and turn it inside out. 
Um, I do mine with a French seam, so you actually have to sew it the seams twice in order to get the French seam. Uh, there is a um, Missouri Star Quilt Company has a how-to video demonstration for it. Um, I'll see if I can post the link to that demo- that video in my show notes. Somewhere I had found the uh, PDF. I was able to print off somebody's blog, the actual instructions with pictures, although I had gone back in and written in some clarifications because the, the, there were a couple things that weren't as clear from that blog post as possible. I cannot for the life of me find that printout in my office anywhere, which is why I ended up back on YouTube just refreshing my memory because it's probably been at least six months, maybe longer, since I last made a pillowcase. And you, you just have to kind of remind yourself what order steps are in. Um, but anyway, for the basic pillowcase, it's two-thirds of a yard for the main pillowcase fabric, and then a nine-inch strip of your cuff fabric, the part that goes at the top, and then an accent like a flange fabric that they do a two-inch. I usually use two-and-a-half-inch, mostly because when I've done pillowcases in the past, I've just used a two-and-a-half-inch strip I already had cut. Um, so for this, uh, for the Alexander Henry Gasly's fabric I had, it was really the perfect way to use it. Um, now I've got a little bit left of each of the two prints. I'm just going to, you know, give it to a friend of mine. I'm going to find out if anybody wants it. Um, cause again, I'm done with the fabric. I didn't really feel any need to keep it around or to use every last scrap in some other project for myself. You know, I've, I've enjoyed using it and it's done. Um, so I'm going to throw those in the wash tonight so I can hopefully get them in the mail to her tomorrow. Uh, she was telling me that this weekend um, on Saturday, her she lives in a theme house at her college. So it's a house that's owned by the cottage, the college itself. And so we pay the college uh, the dorm fee, just like we would pay if she was living in another dorm. But it's a house where it's got a theme and hers is the hub. It's a gamer thing. And um, it's strange. It's the weirdest thing because the house looks like a house from the outside. But as soon as you walk inside, it looks like a dorm. When they when they redid it, everything, it smells like a dorm. It looks like a dorm. Kind of weird. But anyway, their their house is doing a haunted house this weekend for the community. And she was telling, she's on the committee to uh, plan it. And she was telling me they actually have kind of two versions. So they do one that's super scary. But then if they have little kids coming through, they have like the signal that all the really scary stuff gets put away and the actors kind of tone it down a little bit so the little kids can go through. And then they, you know, get all mean and scary again for adults or other college kids that go through or whatever. Um, and she was telling me she's in she's in charge of the the creepy doll room, and I'm like, oh, those things give me nightmares. So I told her not to tell me anything more about it. Uh, so I'd love to get her these two pillowcases to kind of celebrate her um, her work on that this weekend. It would be fun for her to have those. So anyway, that was the only sewing I've gotten done in the last couple of weeks. But on to talking a little bit about shopping. Um, I, each one of my trips did have a little bit of a quilty or fiber art related highlight. So when I was in Niagara-on-the-Lake um, for my anniversary weekend, we like to go hiking in a place called Balls Falls. Um, it's about hmm, 30 minutes-ish, I think, away from Niagara-on-the-Lake. And it's near a town called Jordan. And Jordan has a wonderful restaurant, Jordan on the 20, or Inn on the 20, I can't remember which it's called, that we like to eat at. Um, and Jordan itself, the village, has several kind of boutique type shops and some antique shops and such. But um, the last time we were there, which was two or three years ago, I had found they now have a quilt shop, it's sort of a quilt and yarn shop, fabric and yarn, that I had gone in last time. And it was very cute, and I really enjoyed being in there, but it's the kind of place that's so small that if you walk in, look around and don't buy something, you stand out (laughs) like a sore thumb. I always feel really bad when I do that. So last time I was there, I think I ended up buying a couple of charm packs just to, you know, kind of support the business. This time, since I'm not buying commercial fabric right now, I didn't even really have any interest in going in the shop. But I had noticed as we were walking from the parking lot where we left our car to where we were hiking there was a a house with a shop in it that I had never seen before. And he said he's been there about five years, so I must have just walked right by them last time. And it's called Fiber Garden, and Fiber is spelled the Canadian way, F-I-B-R-E, Garden. And again, it's in the town of Jordan. If you are a fiber person in Canada, you need to get to the shop. Well, 
I guess if you're from that area of Canada, and I know I've got some listeners that are, that are from the Ontario area, um, if you haven't been there, you should. It is really, really cool. It's just the first couple of rooms in this house, and they've just got it jam-packed with stuff. And, it, you know, it's relatively well organized, but it really is something that you have to go in and really kind of go through every single corner to see everything that's in there. And my husband was waiting for me, so I didn't want to make him wait all that long. So I didn't spend as much time in there as I really would have enjoyed poking around. Um, but I got exactly some things I've been looking for, mostly in terms of spindles. He had a ton of spindles in there. Um, various, uh, I guess I would call them ethnic spindles, you know, various traditional spindles from different parts of the world. And um, also just kind of standard top and bottom whorl spindles. And I've been looking for a heavier weight top whorl spindle. That's the type where the, the disc is on the top of the spindle rather than the bottom. Um, and so I, I bought one from him. And actually the one I bought from him is convertible. You can use, either use it as a top or a bottom whorl. But I really, I really, really wanted a good top whorl. So I'm very happy with that. Um, and I, I didn't go fancy. They, they had a lot of really pretty fancy ones. And they also had some that were made, oh, shoot, and I don't remember the name of the guy, um, a local artisan, or at least a Canadian artisan who does um, very pretty spindles. And, and they were very pretty, but it didn't have the heft to it. And it was about twice as expensive as the one I bought. So I just stuck with the kind of basic um, top whorl spindle. Um, and then, but I did play with, oh man, I would love to get into this. This is where I get Danger, Will Robinson, Danger, Will Robinson, and <laughs> name that pop culture reference. Um, this is where I could get into trouble because spindles are just stinking cool. There are so many different ones of them. And he had some supported spindles there, which I sat and played with. And, oh, it would be fun. Supported spindles are, you have a bowl that sits on the table and then the spindle sits down in the bowl. And you spin it with your hand as you're spinning the yarn. Um, and... He had some there made by a local artisan and I was playing with it and just the spin on it was just beautiful and it was so, it was just, oh, it was lovely. <laughs> and I really, really wanted one, but I'm like, okay, Sandy, slow it down. You haven't even entirely figured out how to spin on a regular <laughs> spindle yet. Let's not start getting all fancy. So, but now I know where he is and we're there every year. So <laughs> I, can, I can work up to it. Um but then he also had all sorts of uh, rovings, dyed rovings and plain rovings. I chose not to buy any more plain because I've still got a bunch here from the Fiber Festival I went to last year. But I did get a couple of dyed rovings and I'm already working on spinning one of them. Very, very pretty stuff. And again, I'll post a picture of that on my blog. And then as I was leaving, he told me he had, um, we got talking about natural dyes where you grow stuff in your backyard and boil it in a pot and dye stuff. Um, and I was saying something about how, you know, unfortunately all the stuff that I can grow in my area dyes everything brown or yellow. You don't, <laughs> you don't get a whole, maybe a little bit of red here and there, but not a whole lot of variety as you can in other parts of the world where you can grow other kinds of things. And he said, oh, well, I've got natural dye powders, you know, here. And I'm like, well, dang, if I had known that before I'd already paid for everything and was on my way out the door, I might have done a little more shopping. But again, I made a note to myself that now I know where he is. Hopefully he'll still be in business when I'm there. Um, so, yes, I bought a Top World Drop Spindle. I bought two dyed rovings. One is kind of a blue-green-gold mix. And the other ones, I think it's called... Um, sherbet or something like that it's it's very pale and very pastel-y um i thought that would be kind of cool either on its own or if i um two ply it with the blue one i think that would make a nice mix too but i haven't gotten into plying on spindles yet that's a whole other thing i'm still just trying to figure out how to get that first ply done um i also bought a couple of packages of sari yarns as embellishments he had several packs um you know how how i've whined and complained on this podcast um, in previous episodes about how I usually don't want to buy a whole skein of yarn. I just want a pack of little like 12 to 18 inch packs of them. And he had them and they were um, sari yarns, which are yarns and ribbons, um, basically strips of old Indian saris. Um, they don't throw them away. They shred them <laughs> and then they sell them to to fiber artists and so i bought a couple of those just gorgeous gorgeous stuff again i'll post pictures um 
so that was very exciting and and I'm really glad I know he's there now you know and it's possible that I did notice it last time I was there but I wasn't I was realizing two years ago I hadn't really started dying yet um hadn't certainly hadn't gotten into spindling or anything to do with yarns or fibers at that point so it could be that I saw that the store was there and just it was like oh that's not something for me I'll go to the quilt shop instead and now I'm in a very different place and so now I was like no I don't need to go to the quilt shop but let me at this guy because this was really really cool stuff um so I I really had fun there and I'm I'm still looking forward to playing more with um with what I bought there and, you know, I was thinking um, as I was cleaning out my sewing room today and kind of sorting things and putting them away, um, first of all, I was realizing I need to figure out some sort of storage for all of these robings and such now that I have, because um, they're all just crammed into a couple of shopping bags at this point, reusable shopping bags. Um, but then I was also seeing, I, I've had a handful of twilters have sent me rovings for spinning and some wonderful embellishment threads and things like that um thank you all of you who have done that i'm i'm just awash in lusciousness at the moment and i've decided i'm probably going to have to declare 2015 the year of the fiber and, and start really using all of this tasty stuff every now and then i get out and i get it out and i strew it all about on my cutting table and i run my fingers through it and i dream and then i put it all back in its bags and put it away again so i've really got to start focusing on how I'm going to use that stuff. Um, but actually our design study group, uh, the way we're doing, we're working this year is we've all kind of done our own challenges this year. We're not using a book um, from here on in, uh, although we do reference in, here and there some of the books we've already used, but we just put, each of us wrote down a bunch of challenges that we, of things we kind of wanted to do, and then we threw them all in a hat, and then we drew them randomly for each month out of the year. <laughs> and I know we have two or three that involve texture and line and things that I'll really probably be able to play with some of these fibers. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, some other shopping, when I was in Atlanta at the Martin Luther King Jr. birthplace, the house, there's a, you know, store souvenir gift shop next door. And actually one of the women that I was with pulled this book off the shelf and showed it to me and said, Sandy, this looks like something you need. <laughs> and sure enough, I did end up buying it. It's a book called Stitched from the Soul, Slave Quilts from the Antebellum South by Gladys Marie Fry, and it's published by Chapel Hill. It's called a Chapel Hill book um, by the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. It was originally published in 1990. It's been updated in 2002. Um, I'm only about halfway through reading it, and I've been thinking, you know, if I were to update it again myself, there's some other things I would have changed in it because I think there's some comments she makes about the quilting world that are just no longer true. They were true probably in 1990. They may have still been true in 2002, although I'm kind of questioning that, um, but they're certainly not true now in 2014. She she mentions how there was a lack of acceptance of anything less than a traditional block with perfect tiny little stitches and everything in the quilt world. And first of all, I think people overstate that, but I do know that when the art quilt movement first started in the, well, art quilts really kind of came around at the same time as the research into the quilting, really in the 70s and 80s, there were some issues, you know, at the major quilt shows and such about where art quilts kind of fit into the quilting world. I think that's largely, I think, you, yeah, you still run into your periodic person who just, well, that's not a quilt, you know, that kind of nonsense. But I think they're few and far between. I think by and large, there's a great acceptance now of art quilting as an art form. And I think with the, the modern quilt movement, there's a great acceptance now that, you know, traditional blocks are great and they can also be played with. And there can also be things that don't have a, a specific block. And your stitches can be small and tiny and perfect, or they can be larger and primitive as long as it, you know, fits the mood of the quilt or whatever. I think there's just a more broader, more broader, more broad understanding of what quilts are now. Again, absent the occasional quilt police person. We run into them not just in the quilting world, but in all of life. There is always going to be somebody that's just got a snotty comment. <laughs> it happens. But um, that being said, I think in the, the quilt world in general, there's much wider acceptance. So, there were some things that I was reading in his, in her introduction that I was like, no, okay, you know, that's not exactly true anymore, but I can still take the rest of what she says. Um, this is not a quilt pattern book. It is what I would call a documentary book. It's about 
slave quilts. It's about the difficulty of documenting um, and researching. And she talks about her whole methodology. And then it goes through, you know, what what we've learned about quilts from um, slaves and from freed women in that time in the South and um, lots of pictures. And it's very text heavy. Again, it's not a pattern uh, book. There's not a lot of white space in this book. Um, but it's, oh, it's really, really good. I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's answering some, well, I wouldn't say answering, you know, there's been a lot of theories around out there. Um, and she really addresses those theories in, in some very, uh, specific and helpful ways. I'm, I'm really enjoying it again. I'm only about halfway through reading it at this point. Um, but if you're interested in quilt history, if you're interested in different types of cultures and their influence on quilting, on quilt design, this is a really, really good book. Again, it's Stitched from the Soul, Slave Quilts from the Antebellum South by Gladys Marie Fry. And I will put a link to it on um, Amazon. It's it's not an inexpensive book. I was actually kind of surprised because I bought it at the bookstore knowing that I was probably paying more for it there, but being willing to do so because I felt like I was supporting, you know, a, a historical site. Um, but then when I looked at it on Amazon, I was like, oh, it's actually more on Amazon <laughs> than what I paid for it. Um, but again, it's not a pattern book. You know, this is really dense material and a lot of research and a lot of information went into this. So it's definitely worth it in my mind, every dollar. Um, so I will put a link to that in the show notes to this episode. Um, the other book I have that I've actually had for a while and I just, I, I kept having down on various episodes. Okay. Talk about this book, talk about this book. And it kept getting moved as things happen. Um, but my BFF BQF Kate, a uh, friend, Kate, had given me this book. She had found it, I think, at her guild book sale table. It's an older book. Um, it is still available used, and it's available as a Kindle ebook now, but it's Mickey Lawler's Sky Dyes, A Visual Guide to Fabric Painting. It's CNT Publishing, and it was published in 1999. It has not been revised that I could find any no new editions out. It's about, um, Mickey Lawler describes her fabric paint techniques that she uses to color fabrics to achieve what she calls sky dyes or designs that look like sky or water or ground for landscape quilts. She has very clear instructions about how to create the dyed fabric. She has a variety of um, techniques she uses for different effects and she goes through them all very specifically. Uh, even though the book was 1999, as I was reading through the product list and such, um, pretty much all the same products now, those haven't changed that drastically. Uh, probably the chemical makeup for some of them has, but the, the techniques themselves and the products are still around, um, at least here in the U.S. I don't know in other countries if there's other brand names or whatever. Um, but that was, you know, it's something I will certainly be able to take down to my basement and, you know, die. <laughs> As I always say, I'm going to my basement to die. Uh, there's no quilt patterns. There are no patterns for specific quilts. But there are tons of examples of how she used her own fabric, so you'll get inspiration and ideas. This is really a book worth getting your hands on. I was very appreciative of BFF BQF Kate for giving this to me. Um, I have not yet used it, but again, I haven't been in my dye studio other than to make purple scarves for months. <laughs> so that's something I'm kind of hoping to get done this month. If not, um, before I go out of town, that's something I will probably be more able to do when I'm back and dealing with time zone changes and all the jet lag and all that kind of stuff when I'm back from Burma in January, I'll probably be more likely to be able to dye and paint and things than I will be to sit at a sewing machine and use sharp pointy objects. So I'm hoping to get some dyeing done at least in January. Um, but still, I do sit down and, and read through this book. You know, it's just got a lot of good information, a lot of good pictures and and what I particularly enjoy is I always feel like if people lock in, oh, that looks like a sky, therefore you must use it as a sky in a landscape quilt. Um, Mickey Lauder doesn't do that. She does do some of that. I mean, some of it she says, this is a sky. And then she shows how she used it as a sky in a landscape quilt. But then she also shows how she used them in more abstract designs and how she kind of does different colors for things, you know, in a, a landscape that's clearly a landscape, but the colors aren't what you would expect them to be. You know, so she's... She's very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say creative because that's a lot of things are creative that aren't that. Um, 
uh, okay, now this is when you can tell I'm still pretty tired because I'm I'm losing my words. Um, but anyway, she's she's you know her her examples are beautiful. Um, so I do still sit by, on the couch and when we're watching TV at night, now I'm still flipping through this book. So by the time I'm ready to actually be back down in my basement, I will probably have the book nearly memorized. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and again, I will put the link to the Kindle version of that book on the show notes for this episode. Um, but you will see there on, on Amazon where you can also get new and used paperback versions of it. Or, you know, like my friend did, just look in your, if your guild has a bookshelf or book sale, check and see whether somebody's gotten rid of theirs. Uh, so I really enjoy that book too. Again, that's Mickey Lawler's Sky Dies, A Visual Guide to Fabric Painting. So that's all the shopping I've been doing and gifting that I've been doing lately. Let me get some listener feedback. Okay, for listener feedback this week, I want to first of all point out that um, Charlotte is still answering people's questions. So if you are working on cutting your scrapitude stuff and you run into a question, um, just go back to my original blog post with the instructions and you see the Google form there. Again, just keep leaving your questions there and Charlotte will answer them. She had a little bit of delay in answering the most recent batch because she was, um, they have a family cottage up in, I think the Thousand Islands, and she's off the grid when she's up there. She has no internet, so she, but she answered a, a slew of them. I got a bunch of because she copies me in on all of her answers, um, and she had several when she got back. She is still working on setting up her uh, her own website, and she put the link in there. And when I tried to use it, it wasn't active yet, but. I think it will be active shortly. So again, I will post that on my own blog as soon as I know for sure it's live. I'm hoping maybe later this week um, she has some information up there, she says. But again, remember, um, it is a mystery quilt. So <laughs> there's she's been getting a lot of questions to which she responds. It's a mystery quilt. Uh, that's the point of doing a, a mystery. You may not have all of the information you normally want to have <laughs> before you get started. Um she does, uh, she says the first clue for the sewing will be released January 13th at 7 p.m. And again, we will both be announcing that. So that's what I wanted to say about Scrapitude. Uh, okay, I wanted to say thank you to Carol, who emailed me a, a picture. She had been at the uh, Chautauqua Institute quilt show, which is in the southern tier of New York State um, in September. And she sent me a picture of this really wonderful portable spinning wheel that this young woman was work using at her vendor booth. And it is really, really cool. And I'm going to be saving this picture if the day ever comes when I do get my own um, spinning wheel. This one's, it's funky purple and it's all kind of modern and space age looking. It's really fun. So I, I had emailed Carol back. I really appreciate that she sent me that picture. I really had fun looking at that. Thank you to, let me go back to, um, thank you to Kati, who actually has commented several times on various things. I appreciate that. Thank you to Terry, who uh, commented on episode 165, in which I play with form. And she's been catching back up on podcasts because she had been listening to audiobooks for a while there. So she got behind on podcasts, and that's okay. I hope you were enjoying your audiobooks. Um, and she was hoping my tooth trials were over, and they are temporarily over. I think I talked about that in the last episode, that I've now had everything done except the stage of getting the temporary crown and the regular crown, but it seems to be working, so I'm doing okay with that. Um, she says, I enjoyed your discussion about the chocolate pasta. Not being a pasta person myself, it did remind me of chocolate hummus, which could be compared to a vegan and healthier version of Nutella. It's surprisingly awesome and is especially great for grandparents who want to spoil their little grandkids while keeping snacks pretty healthy. Don't tell. And Terry, if you want to send me the recipe for that chocolate hummus, I'd be really interested in getting it. I love Nutella, um, but I don't buy it for myself often because it's not exactly healthy. Uh, so if there's a healthier version, I'd be all over that. So send me that recipe. And um Terry's also jealous of the fact that I have a large dog, and she says, I used to have visitation rights to a neighbor's wolf hybrid who ran Pike's Peak with me on a regular basis. Um, that was, man, wolf hybrid, that's pretty cool. And she says, I'm planning to adopt a golden retriever or lab or something like that who has been trained by our state prison system. 
Once my two adorable and quite healthy puggles pass on, not in any hurry, a decade from now would be too soon. But your pup is adorable, and I agree. My golden is big and galumphy, but really cute. Um, thank you to Jay for her uh, comment on my blog post announcing my new cafe press store. And uh, I had shouted out to Jay she, because she also has a cafe press store, and I've ordered a couple things from her store, and she was very happy for the shout out. She had been having a bad day and that made her happy. So I'm glad I can make you happy. Now, the rest of these are people's uh, Quilty Resolution third quarter check-in. So I'm just going to give some highlights. Erin, who I believe is the Erin who won the drawing, is pleased to report that she finally made progress on her largest monkey. It was a um, t-shirt quilt for her BFF and she had had the shirts for it for years. And so she finally finished cutting up the last shirts and she's been making a list of which sizes of shirt blocks they have and cutting the interface for them. Um, Let's see, she sent this to me. This message is about three weeks old, so hopefully by now you've actually gotten those shirt blocks pieced together. Um, She does say she's giving up on one of her other two monkeys, at least partly so, and she's kind of made some progress on her third one, but um, she is probably not going to make as much progress on that as she hopes. But you know what? Just making the resolution and getting something done on it is more than you would have otherwise. So thank you for your comment, Erin. Gretchen says she's made little progress on her free motion quilting monkey, um, but neither of the other two uh, monkeys have seen any action, although she has watched a crafty class for the machine applique, and she says she did much better on her own resolutions, and she did link up for the linky, and I did read her blog, so thank you for that, Gretchen. Margaret has finished one of her monkeys, the Drunkard's Path Quilt, so she's checking that one off. She did start a color study group with her sisters and a couple of friends using the Heather Thomas book, which is the same one our group was using, Um, and she's on track with that one, and she's practiced some on her third one, which was free motion quilting. She really liked Jackie Gehring's straight line quilting class on Craftsy. She says that's excellent. That's not one I own, so Margaret, thank you very much for tempting me but I've not yet bought it yet I'm hoping to get rid of done with some of the other ones first and then I will probably pick that one up too and thank you to Trisha who made some progress on some oh wow she says she's got the borders made and ready to sew onto her son's quilt the borders are made up of two inch finished squares so getting those borders done was as she says not trivial as soon as she's got the borders on to the quilt so then she'll be able to sandwich it and quilt it um She says she's almost ready for her part in a landscape and architectural quilt display, and the show is in November. So, Trisha, pictures, please. Um, She says it just needs a little more embroidery in the sky and a couple of flying pigs. You know, you got to say that about every quilt. It just needs a couple of flying pigs, and it'll be done. She says the flying pigs will make sense to Cincinnatians. Um, She's not making any progress on her craftsy classes. Um, but she is ready to press on to the fourth quarter. So good luck with that, Tricia. Thank you to Marianne, who who left um, her progress. She's made a little bit of progress. Um, so she's, But she's been trying to finish the hand quilting on another project, and she'd really like to finish that one before taking on something else. And then she mentioned what she's still got to go to do on her other quilting. She says... This is all easily accomplished before the end of the year, with the exception of hand quilting the one project. Um, She's committed to two other hand projects that have hard deadlines. So hand quilting the iris will be postponed until at least spring, but at least I can get it all prepared. And that's usually the biggest hurdle for me. And you know what? That made me think, Marianne, how often I do get stuck with the, uh, on a project just at the point where I just need to get it ready to get to the next move. And somehow that getting it ready doesn't, start. (laughs) So a lot of times I need to, I have several projects that really what I'd need to do now is just get a backing on them and get them sandwiched and then they'd be ready to get the quilting done. I just haven't gotten to that point yet. So maybe I should spend some time just getting everything sandwiched and ready to quilt. Um, Philippa Ozzie-Pip, who is camping her way across Australia at this point, I think, um, she said she has already finished all of her quilty resolution she had finished them all last spring i think by the end of before the end of the second um check-in and she says her scrap basket basket seems to be like the magic pudding it keeps growing back every time i emptied it but have emptied it monthly it seems so thank you uh philippa for your 
comments. And yes, you have um, really got the gold star with making the progress because you finished yours all off so quickly. Jackie says she's not sure she'll get those pesky creatures off my back before the end of the year, but she's making a tiny bit of progress. And again, any progress is progress. So it's good. So give yourself a pat on the back. Um, Linda says, my progress consists of gradually making strides and using the computer to read Sandy blogs. <laughs> she says, I'm more of an observer, but when I retire, whenever that may be, I'll dig into the big stash and take my show and tell to the quilt club that I now just observe at. She says, to me, quilting is more than having a show and tell at a club. It is being in awe of the beautiful creations my peers create and meeting new friends. I am amazed at the talent of the fabric artists just in one quilt group alone, and I know there are many others in my area. So, Linda, yes, I think that's the biggest thing about guilds is getting to see all of that eye candy. It's just fun stuff. So that is all the comments for this episode. And... I'm looking forward to getting more, especially now that I'm back and talking to y'all. I am home now for the next several weeks. I don't travel again until I go to Burma after Thanksgiving. So things should get onto more of a regular schedule for the next several weeks. And I'm looking forward to actually getting some sewing done. I may gift myself um, a lot of small projects just to use up some stash and kind of... um, just play (laughs) for a little bit, I guess, and just have fun and not take on any big projects. You know, I'll also finish up some UFOs. I've got some things I need to get done too, but I'm not putting any pressure on myself because frankly, I've got five weeks and I could either be killing myself every week to try to get all sorts of stuff done, or I could just say, you know what, I'm just going to relax and have fun and it'll get done in 2015. So that is my episode. That's all I've got to say today. Um, why don't you say something to me? Why don't you email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a B, uh, no, not quilts with a B, <laughs> quilts with a Z. You can follow my blog, you can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, and Flickr, and all of those places. I'm Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. I'm also that on Craftsy, although you can't search for a username. You can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us page on Facebook. You can um, join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group, and I wish you would so that I can see your pretty, pretty pictures. If you're not on Flickr, just email me your pretty, pretty pictures. I enjoy that too. And you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team, and you will find links for all of those things at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Thank you.